Good night, everyone. Um, welcome to another episode of Talk Gnosis After Dark. Uh, today, we are continuing our discussion on the Gospel of Thomas with verses 19 and 20. Uh, normally, I'm joined by my co-host, Bishop Lainey Peterson, but she's feeling under the weather this evening and wasn't able to join us. So tonight, it is just Father Tony and I winging it. How are you, Father Tony? I'm good. I'm good. I was looking forward to hearing about uh, Crucible. Uh, but we'll, we'll, I guess we'll get that next week. That's that's why she's out. She's got the con flu, you know, all the, all those people in groups and their gross clothes yeah. and you know. <laughs> yeah. Tr trust me, I was in uh, Disney uh, oh uh, about a week ago, and I remember standing in several lines, going, "Huh, how many millions of people have walked through here in the last year alone, touching this exact same spot? Hmm, <laughs> should I be concerned? You know, <laughs> let me tell you how bad I feel for you." <laughs> yeah, and then of course you know it's Disney, so you've got all of the uh, you know snot nose kids and <laughs> coffee and everybody else. It's like, oh god, and there's Ebola. Oh, yeah. no, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's not let's not get into that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so let's get right into jump right into our discussion. Um, for those who um, didn't see our video show, and I would recommend that you haven't go back and watch that before you listen to the podcast. Uh, but I'll go ahead and reread these particular translations. There are several, but these are the ones that I chose to put in the show notes. Um, verse 19, Jesus said, blessed is he who has come before he came into being. If you become disciples to me and listen to my words, these stones will minister to you. For you have five trees in paradise for which do not change, either in summer or in winter, and their leaves do not fall. He who knows them shall not taste of death. And then in verse 20, the disciples said to Jesus, tell us what the kingdom of heaven is like. He said to them, it is like a grain of mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds. But when it falls upon tilled ground, it puts forth great branches and becomes shelter for the birds of heaven. There we go. Those are our two verses. Uh, we had pointed out, um, I think, in our video show, you know, how, how especially verse 20, uh, we see parallels in that within the Gospels, within Matthew 13, 31 through 42. Um, you know, I, it's, I, I think, probably one of the um, most probably widely known parables, you know, the idea of, of the mustard seed. Um, probably in all of the Bible, I think most uh, Christians of any faith, whether they're Gnostic or mainstream, know of the parable of the mustard seed. Right, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, it was interesting, the discussion that we had about the actual nature of the mustard plant, <laughs> that, uh, you know, it's, a, it's an aggressive plant that grows to fill whatever space you give it. And, uh, and and what that might mean for esoteric Christianity and, and what we're talking about here. So go well, back yeah. and listen to that. Yeah, and um, that was something that uh, really, I'll be honest, uh, doing some research for the show, I had no idea in our horticulture that the mustard was almost a weed that would basically take over everything. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, interesting. And here's a... A little bit about the, just the, the nature of the actual phraseology of this saying in this gospel and in um, other sources. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting to note that in, in um, 
I want to say so in Matthew and Mark, right? Uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm I'm not as prepared as I'd like to be. Um, Matthew and Mark, the the mustard seed grows into a tree, which apparently the mustard plant does not actually grow into a tree. Um, and in uh, in Luke, apparently, I guess where this is um, also uh, where it is also found. It does not. It, it says plant or vegetable, like it does in the Gospel of Thomas. So that's a, one of the reasons why scholars think that the Gospel of Thomas might actually be older than the other the, the canonical gospels. So mm-hmm. it's it's interesting the note the the use of the term the you know what the mustard plant grows into. Mm-hmm. Um, so in in this one, the mustard plant shelters the birds of heaven, and in the mm-hmm. other. Uh, sources the the birds of heaven will nest in its branches, mm-hmm. so you know a, a bit of trivia, but interesting nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Especially mm-hmm. for us, and you know we we certainly regard the Gospel of Thomas very highly, and mm-hmm. we think it's a pretty significant document. But uh, this is one of those reasons why a lot of other scholars um, will uh, will think this is an, a, a you know an important document for the history of Christianity in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting, uh, you know, note that you put there because, uh, again, um, yeah, it does have that commonality of it, uh, um, you know, being a, a shrub or a bush, you know, a plant and not a tree like you read in some of the other scriptures. Um, you know, one of the things that I pointed out during the video show, you know, which, again, going back to a little bit of the horticulturist was kind of the idea that, um, you know, that this thing does grow like a weed because it's in essence a weed um and that if it's in a garden you know and they actually kind of go into cultivated areas that you don't want it to go into and take over the whole entire garden and and attracting birds that you don't necessarily want attracted to your nice cultivated area so (laughs) you know i I think there's uh, you know lots of things multiple levels to kind of look at kind of what that particular meaning is you know then uh, you know i think we kind of skipped back up into verse 19 you know we sort of uh, got a habit or i have a habit sometimes of starting backwards and working our way back forwards um and we got into some i think a little bit kind of interesting discussions on the ideas of the five trees which were in paradise yeah the, so um in our little break here i did i looked up some of the other references um specifically in the pistis sophia you'll find the five trees mentioned twice. Um, I'll read a little bit here. And Jesus had not told his disciples of the whole extent of the emanations of the treasury, uh, nor their ranks, how they extended, nor had he told them of their saviors, according to the rank of each one, how they are, Mm -hmm. nor had he told them which watcher is over the doors of the treasury of light. Nor had he told mm-hmm. them the place of the twin savior, who is the child of the child. Nor had he told them the place of the three amens, in which the places they extended. And he had not told them in which the place the five trees are spread, nor of the seven other amens, namely the seven voices where they're placed, yada, yada, yada. So that's the first reference in reference to this treasury of light that is being described here. Um, mm-hmm. The second reference is... Um, uh, middle of the paragraph, uh, in one of the paragraphs of chapter 10 here. And furthermore, there is that the garment of, uh, the, in that garment, the glory of the name of the mystery of all the ranks of the emanations of the treasury of light and their saviors and the mystery of the ranks of the five helpers. And furthermore, there is a garment that the glory of the name, uh, no, wait, 
I skipped a skipped a line here. This is hard to read on this screen. <laughs> uh, <laughs> mystery of the ranks of. Uh, da, 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 da. Ranks of the ranks. Is that what it says? Hold on. <laughs> yeah, ranks of the ranks. Okay, that's weird. <laughs> I don't remember it. The mystery of the ranks of the rank, which are the seven amens and the seven voices and the five trees and the three amens and the twin savior, namely the child of the child. So they're describing, again, this uh, treasury of light mm -hmm. where exists these five trees and the three amens and the seven amens and the child of the child and all that other stuff uh, with really no further explanation. Um, mm. And in the Manichaean uh, uh, Psalms... Uh, yeah, actually, a book well. one, yeah, mm -hmm. a book 161, 17 through 29. Yes, so I'm trying to find that here, but I can't find where I quoted that. But it, do you have that in front of you? Do you see uh, it? No, I don't actually have it in front of me. Okay, that's, that's fine. Probably, well, that's yeah, pe right. people can look that up for them damn selves. They, they'll, <laughs> yeah, they can you know, Google well, it themselves. But yeah, so it's interesting to note that this five tree symbol comes up you know, in a number of different places and mm -hmm. is it's never really explained. I, I personally like the, you know, the five spiritual senses, um, mm -hmm. because it, it, you know, it, it has a kind of a connotation of eternality. If that's a word that these five trees are, you know, in summer and winter, they don't drop their leaves. Um, they're always there. They're in paradise or in this treasury of light that mm. when, when you're prepared to see them or to use them, even in the case of the senses that, that there they are and they're eternal and they're mm -hmm. more eternal than our five physical senses. Mm -hmm. You know, interesting. I don't know if you uh, did this, found this in any of your research, but you know, there is a book uh, known as the Acts, uh, act of Thomas, which should not be confused with the gospel of Thomas. It is uh, one of the uh, Christian books of, uh, or the book of Thomas, the contender or, Right. Anything else attributed to Thomas. <laughs> right. But in the Acts of Thomas, in chapter 27, there is actually an anointing ceremony. And the apostles implore, come elders of the five members of mind, communicate with these young men. Yeah. The five words for mind um, are basically um, are equivalent to the idea of sanity, reason, mindfulness, imagination, and intention. And concerning the five manifestations of the uh, fathers of greatness, which may provide clues to the meaning of the five trees. So, yeah. you know, um, you know, uh, yeah, I think there's lots of being implied. We talked a little bit uh, during the video show of some of kind of the Kabbalistic ideas that come to mind with the idea of five, whether we're talking the ideas of the fifth Sephiroth, uh, whether we're talking the ideas of the five worlds of uh, of um, mystical Jewish Kabbalah. Um, you know, five can mean many, many things. And it's like, what is really being implied? Because um, as you suggested, you know, the number five doesn't just show up in this particular verse. If it showed up right here, I probably wouldn't think that there's any real significance of it. But it's it kind of pops up all over the place in, in some of the Gnostic scriptures. Yeah. Um, the, certainly from a Joanite context, you have uh, the the four archangels and the sacred flame, uh, mm -hmm. which open and close every Eucharist. Uh, mm -hmm. So th there's there's that interesting connotation of five there as well. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Yeah, we can we can draw parallels to the number five all day long. <laughs> sure, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, you could uh, you know obviously uh, look into the whole entire name of even the name of Christ, Yeshua, which is basically the tetragrammaton, the, the four lettered name, with the addition of Sheen, you know, a spirit within that, um, which then becomes the five letter name so you know so even the name Yeshua um, which would uh, commonly be referred to in English as Jesus is the five-lettered name so you know five you know I think there's something to be there is a mystery within this that I think that uh, um, you know anyone who's listening really needs to kind of pay attention to and really spend some time and some meditation and thought and contemplation on what exactly are they talking about in this verse <laughs> you know what exactly is being mean here with these five trees in paradise which do not change either in summer or in winter you know that's something we really didn't discuss very much during the podcast the idea of not changing in either summer or winter um Again, you think there's some significance to picking summer and winter and not spring and fall? Hmm. My first instinct is to say no, that it's a yeah. that it's just kind of a, a a demonstration of, you know, these trees don't you know, don't drop their leaves like the other ones do. But we right. could just be talking about a pine tree, you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> right. These trees are not very important. They're just pine trees. We just happen to like them. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, possibly. Uh, maybe maybe uh, an editor got at it, and it, it said spring, summer, winter, and fall, and an editor said, you know, we don't really need all that. You've got to work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you got too many there. You know, let's just keep it to, to two seasons. Four is giving us a little bit too, too much. You know, um... You know, I, I I guess for me, you know, I sort of see, you know, spring and fall as being kind of the period of the equinoxes. And you've got, uh, um, you know, winter and summer kind of being the two other, you know, great seasons, you know, of the of the summer and winter solstice. So, um, you know, it's something really being implied uh, there, I you know. I don't know. Possibly. You know, you know, uh, during the summer solstice. I mean, what is it? It's it's the greatest amount of period of light. But you know, again, even in the winter solstice, you know, when you've got the shortest days, it is then right around that time that we have, you know, uh, on the Christian calendar the celebration of Christmas because shortly after the shortest day, you know, light gets reborn, and we are going back towards that realm of. Uh, of the days now lengthening. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, and what do we uh, use as a symbol for that time? A tree, a tree yeah, yeah, exactly. that doesn't drop its leaves. <laughs> Back to the pine tree again. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. It's a true. Uh, well, I don't know. Any of us who's ever had real Christmas trees know that uh, <laughs> if you don't keep them watered, they drop all over the place. Um, but yes, absolutely. You would if, too if somebody cut you down and put you in a house. <laughs> Oh, That's trust a bad me. Analogy. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, yeah, no, that wouldn't be pretty. Let's not even go there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think um, that is kind of an interesting, uh, um, you know, connection there with the idea of Christmas, the Christmas tree, and and everything right there. Um, but yeah, so I maybe think... Gnostics should have five Christmas trees. Hmm. That would be an interesting symbol. It would be impractical and weird, but you know. 
Well, you know, I'm kind of impractical and weird. I usually have at least two Christmas trees in my home, sometimes three. Um, but that's because I'm a little bit of a Christmas fanatic because my birthday is on Christmas. So <laughs> I kind of tend to go overboard on it. Yeah. Um, you could put them in the shape that, of a pentagram and trace out the, the pentagram with like goat's blood or something and really freak out your family when they come to visit. Yeah, that probably wouldn't be good, Father Tony. Probably <laughs> wouldn't be good. Um, I'm thinking yeah. about doing it. Well, you you know, if you do, um, maybe um, videotape it. I think all of our <laughs> listeners and viewers would probably like to see that. Not, uh, but uh, uh, interesting. Um, but let's get back into this. So for. For, for we a actually little... had a comment from one of our uh, Patreon supporters. Um, ah, okay. Yes, uh, Bishop McCann uh, jumped in here and um, and said, uh, uh, da, 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 da. "Now the the five <clears throat> the five uh, sacraments as mentioned in the the Gospel of Philip, you know, mm -hmm. uh, baptism, chrism, Eucharist, redemption, and bridal chamber. Uh, mm -hmm. That's I think that's a pretty strong contender for the five trees, mm -hmm. the, the five eternal trees." Mm -hmm. I, I would say that's a very strong contender, you know, and if we're even talking apostolic gnosis, I mean, you know, um, okay, maybe argue that these weren't universal throughout the church, but you basically even would have the ideas of minor orders, subdeacon, deacon, uh, the presbyterate, that of the priesthood, and the and and then of the bishop. So, yeah. really, kind of the five orders of priesthood, if you will. Um, but yes, I, I think um, I think uh, our church is greedy. We do ten. You know, we get we get real picky about what's what. <laughs> Ten. Wow. Yeah, I know, wow. right? This is why well, we can't have nice things. Wow. <laughs> yeah, no wonder it takes you guys like thirty-five years to become a priest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I wanted to actually just talk a little bit about the stones in this saying as well. You sure. Know, the the um, Specifically, uh, if you if you hear the if you hear my words, these stones will serve you. And I I just want to come back to um, Logian thirteen that we talked about a while back, uh, where uh, um, Thomas gets pulled aside by Jesus, and Jesus whispers three words, and then he comes back, and so they say to him, "Well, what did Jesus say to you?" And he says, "If I told you that you would pick up the st the stones and stone me." And then fire would come out of the stones and burn you up. Uh, so there's an interesting kind of thread that runs through the Gospel of Thomas when it comes to these stones. That they're, they're used as a symbol of, in, in my opinion, they're used as a symbol of the divine within matter. You know what I mean? That this, there is a, an animating kind of principle that exists within everything and the stones are used as kind of the symbol for that. So in this instance, the divine fire comes out from the stones and burns the people who would, you know, who, who don't understand. Mm -hmm. uh, and in this Logian, there, the stones are serving you. I don't know exactly what that means. Are they going to make you a sandwich or something? But, <laughs> you know, it, I think, I think it's interesting to see the way that the stones are used throughout the gospel. Um, mm. And, and to, you know, uh, other places um, uh, in Matthew 7, 9, uh, what man of you, if his son asks him for bread, will he give him a stone? And this, this kind of stone, bread, manna kind of connection is interesting. Um, mm -hmm. We heard a, a lecture at, uh, at Conclave this past year 
um, by Tim Hogan, who talked a lot about the the connection between manna, uh, the the word manna, um, the bread that the manna was made into, and mm-hmm. the word stone. And I don't remember the specifics of it because I don't really do ancient languages, unfortunately. But there was some connection there where the manna and the stone, the philosopher's stone, is what he was the point he was getting at. But mm-hmm. the, this this idea of stones being important. And why do the Masons always talk about stones? You know, there's this all this symbolism around stones. Mm-hmm. I always find it fascinating. Well, you know, I think without... Um going too much into masonry or giving away many of their secrets. I I think, you know, the idea that, you know, masonry uses various symbols to uh, kind of uh, um, various symbols to kind of describe, I think, various events of transformation. And I, I think in the most basic sense, you've got the idea of kind of the rough stone that is being cut and chiseled and broken away to become that perfected stone. Yeah, in um, the same way that the field needs to be plowed before the mustard seed can take root. Absolutely. You know, we discussed that a little bit uh, in the video show. I think both of those things, you know, give kind of this this idea that there has to be work has to be present and some of this work may not be very pleasant, you know, with uh, tilling of the soil, cutting away the stone. I mean, these are all, um, you know, heavy operations, but it's something that needs to be done to get prepared so that it can take its kind of final form, either in the form of being proper soil for the seed to grow or for the stone to take its place as the uh, cornerstone is of the foundation for the temple to be built. So um, I, I think there's, you know, um, you know, lots of symbolism we could go into the idea of the stone. I think one of the ideas we talked about once uh, um, regarding stone, um, again, I sort of went off on one of my strange <laughs> tangents on this, but it was kind of the idea that uh, I think we were even talking about the concept of Peter and him being called stone and uh Kephas or Kepha, meaning stone. But if we were to take a look at kind of, uh, again, uh, the Kabbalah of that, um, that adds up to a new, to enumeration of 729. And 729 gives us the idea of also of Baphomet, which is, you know, um, you, you know, you mentioned uh, Tim Hogan, you know, but again, kind of ties into that kind of Templar idea. And uh, again, if we look at the idea of Baphomet through um, through something known as the Adbash uh, cipher, that then basically comes out as Sophia. So, you know, we've got the idea of stone equaling the idea of Sophia. Mm. So, so stone implies wisdom um you know take it or leave it that's what i got for you um but yeah i think you know stone can mean many things and and multiple levels i mean uh, stones can cause great harm right i can take a stone and bash you with it stones can cause great good i can use it to build my home i can up on the foundation, I can now place these stones and build a solid structure that's going to protect me from from all of the elements and from the winds and from the heat and from the cold, more so than if I was just using wood or some cheaper uh, building materials. Come on. Which one of our listeners haven't heard the story of the three little pigs, right? Mm. Um, the one that survives is 
the stone one, the one made of brick, right? Um, big bad wolf couldn't blow that one down. Um, so, you know what? Stone, um, I think a lot of things could be implied here. Um, you know, but I think we talked a little bit even about the parallel of what comes up in Luke 19.40, where Jesus said, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, again, kind of this idea of the stones crying out. Well, I, I don't know. I might run if I hear stones crying out myself. <laughs> yeah. What is What happens every time an angel shows up in any of the, the Gospels? The, what's the first thing they say is, be not afraid. Because this must be a really terrifying experience. <laughs> Just like, yeah. holy ah! crap, an angel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That reminds yeah. me of a joke, actually. So there's these two muffins. They're sitting in an oven, right? And, uh-huh. uh, and you know, one of them turns to the other and says, Jesus, it's getting kind of hot in here. The other one says, holy crap, a talking muffin. <laughs> yeah. I like to throw uh, a joke in. <laughs> we all need a joke. A sense of humor is something we all need. <laughs> um, no, love it. Absolutely love it. Um. You know, you had talked a little bit, and I want to go back into this just slightly again, the idea of blessed is he who was before he came into being. Blessed is he who was before he came into being. Um, I don't know if we discussed it at all. Now I'm kind of losing track, or if this was something we had only discussed during the video show. But I think that, you know, implies a great amount also, Father Tony. Uh, yeah. You had you had made the idea that this isn't just specific to Yeshua or to Jesus, but in your opinion, from this verse, that this really kind of implies all of us. You know, blessed is he who was, who came into being. It's all of us who have existed before being, and yeah. kind of us finding our way back to that. Yeah, whenever whenever I see a blessed is he, you know, show up in any of these, uh, whether it's the Gospel of Thomas or the Canonicals or anything like that, I always see that as this is Jesus telling you about something that you should be doing or something that you should know or, mm-hmm. you know, something that applies to you, you know, mm-hmm. or otherwise, why would he say it? So in in this particular instance, he's saying, blessed is he who came into being, who was before he came into being implying that these people that I'm talking to here, you were before you came into being, and now it's time for you to to realize that and to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's a very the you know, that kind of pre existence of souls idea is is pretty common among the Gnostics that if not necessarily I don't think necessarily that it's it's saying that yes you your soul existed as a unique identity that you are right now as a person, but that there is a part of you that pre-existed your mortal incarnation. And that part of you is that immortal spark, that immortal piece of the divine that, Mm -hmm. you know, who knows what's going to happen to it right at the end. We all have speculations and we all have different texts that we read, but at the end of the day, none of us really know, um, Except for the people who I guess who know, but <laughs> but yeah, so there's a there's kind of a 
pre-existence of souls kind of thing that's happening. Um, and some Gnostic groups probably believed, that, like I mentioned earlier, that there were only certain groups of people who were in this category, uh, that they had pre-existent souls that would continue to exist after they died. And mm-hmm. Like I said, I don't, know, I don't know too many Gnostics who hold to that these days, uh, in, a, in that kind of a literal sense, but you know, it's interesting to no, note no. nonetheless. No, I don't think uh, too many modern Gnostics uh, kind of hold to that in the literal sense that they did. I think we need to slap them around a little bit. <laughs> well, at the end of the day, what does it matter, right? I, you know, if right. if you're if you're using it to justify, you know, hating another group of people just by because they exist, then that's certainly something mm-hmm. you don't want to do. But mm-hmm. um, but if it's just a question of you know. Uh, I only think that me and my group are getting into heaven, so I, you know, then, you know, as long as you're not trying to, you know, put anybody else down, I I don't necessarily see the harm in that, I guess. Mm -hmm. But but then how many people do that and don't, uh, (laughs) you know, and, and don't try and put down other groups? I don't know. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a complicated world out there, religion. You know what I mean? Everybody, yeah, everybody thinks that they're absolutely right, a hundred percent, and that everybody else is wrong. And mm-hmm. uh, and what do you do with that information? <laughs> well, it was, uh, you know, uh, I know this is probably going a little bit off subject for the context of the show, but it was actually it's interesting that you bring that up because I was having a uh, similar conversation with with a uh, with a uh, brother up in Canada uh, today. Um, is that, uh, you know, I, I don't think it really matters. It doesn't matter if one is of a mainstream faith or that of an esoteric faith. Uh, you know, uh, you just run across it way too frequently of of, um, of various uh, religions or groups uh, who want to be very uh, kind of uh, exclusive and it's our way and this is the only truth and, you know, don't associate with them because if you do, we're not going to associate with you any longer because we hold the keys, we hold the truth, blah, 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 blah. You hear it all, you know, all the time. And, you know, and I'll be honest with you, Father Tony, it makes me uh, kind of revolted and a little sick. It's like, you know, we're all kind of working for our common good here, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think, I think we all do it though. I mean, I, I think we all do it to one extent or another, you know, I, I wouldn't be a Gnostic if I didn't think it was right. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, you know, and, and I, I won't, I won't, but I, if I, if pressed, I could point to other religions and say, yeah, I don't think they're necessarily doing it right. I think that they've got right. the wrong idea, you know? Right. One I don't mind calling out, like the Westboro Baptist Church. They think they're absolutely 100% correct. I don't agree. (laughs) Right. Um, But it's the same – I think it's the same kind of thing, and we have blinders on when it comes to our own stuff. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think esoteric – people in esoteric traditions have an easier time of it than others because what we're talking about is – so heavily, uh, so heavily tied up in symbols, we have to understand it on a, a, a different level than and a more exoteric uh, tradition. So, if if you have a tradition that claims, you know, that the Bible is literally true, written in the original English, uh, then you know you're you're going to have a hard time finding common ground with other people if that's your 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 worldview. However, if you say this is 
symbolic language that's pointing to something deeper and more personal, then you mm-hmm. can say, oh, well, then maybe that also is symbolic language that's pointing to something deeper and more personal. They're just trying to say it in a different way. And mm-hmm. it becomes easier, I think, at that point to relate to other religions and to, you know, not hate them because they wear a funny hat or whatever it happens to be. <laughs> Well, and we wear plenty of funny hats here in the apostolic Gnostic tradition. Oh, absolutely, we do. Absolutely, I, I've been a, a accused more than once of uh, liking big silly hats. <laughs> well, yeah. come on, who doesn't like big silly hats? Well, well, of course. I mean, come on, it's part of the reason I took the job. I like big silly hats. <laughs> I mean, you want to be a bishop? Uh, yeah, I love big silly hats. <laughs> You know, hello. Um, but no, in all seriousness, you know, um, um, you know, uh, I do think it's a shame, you know, uh, not only of looking at, uh, you know, groups outside of, let's say, esoteric Christianity, but even, you know, if we, you know, move those circles in closer and we start looking at other Gnostic churches or other esoteric bodies or even, you know, like some of the organizations, you know, that I may belong to, um, you know, where uh, you've got this particular group of uh, a brethren and this other particular group of brethren who don't see eye to eye. I mean, even in uh, uh, the world of Freemasonry, you know, you've got, uh, um, you know, the Scottish Rite who won't recognize a body like Memphis and Mizraim or... Or, or even, uh, you know, basic. even more basic, you've got you've got Grand Lodges still in the United States that don't recognize Prince Hall. Well, absolutely. And that's went on for a long time. I mean, I hate to say it, but I have many Masonic brethren that I know who uh, um, are kind of old school Masons who do not accept Prince Hall Masons and do not accept that an African-American can be a Mason, which I just find... Mind-boggling. I, I live like, in Massachusetts. What? I live in Massachusetts, as probably most of the viewers know. But I, I um, I'm joining a lodge here in Massachusetts. Uh, you know, I'm transferring from when I when I was living in New York. I was I belong to a New York lodge now. I'm transferring up here. Um, mm-hmm. I I heard a story just the other day from one of the guys in the new lodge that I'm joining. Uh, that there was a guy in Massachusetts who was. Relieved of his Masonic duties um, for a number of reasons, but among them, he there was an active policy when he was in charge of the lodge, unspoken, but an active policy that if an African American applied, he would not get in. In wow. in Massachusetts, recently. <laughs> wow. You know, it's a uh, it's still out there. <laughs> wow, and it's not like I think of uh, your particular state as being like. Uh, no ultra-conservative right. capital of the world. I mean, let's face the facts. I mean, you know, um, most of us uh, from other parts of the country would usually view that area as pretty liberal uh, thinking and pretty uh, progressive in thought, you know, so. <laughs> and they'd um, be right. I mean, you know, we, uh, we, we're we we're definitely, I mean, one of, we were one of the first states to approve same-sex marriage. So <laughs> it, that's the kind of thing that <laughs> you think of when you think of Massachusetts. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, it just goes to show that organizations are made up of people, and sometimes people are more open-minded than others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Well, you know, Father Tony, I think we've um, probably have kind of uh, run out of a lot on the subject. Yeah, we're got- 33% down here. Yeah. <laughs> 
unless uh, you know you've got any more insight that you would like to share with our with our uh, listeners no not really i would like to maybe do an entire show about sophia pretty soon actually because you mentioned the um the connection between you know baphomet and sophia and the stone and and the whole thing and i think that there's a really rich vein of of symbolism to be mined there and i don't think we've actually done a show strictly speaking just about sophia and you know she is such a uh, popular, I guess, for lack of a better term, figure in in the Gnostic mythos. So, mm-hmm. um, so, so yeah. So let's let's put that in the calendar and, and and expand on that a little bit. I think that would be good. Yeah, I think that's something that we could probably, uh, like the Gospel of Thomas, carry on to many shows. Yeah. Um, you know, but again, I want to thank our uh, our listeners and our viewers for their support. Um, we do appreciate all of the support of those who are. Subscribers of uh, of uh, our Patreon campaign. Um, for those of you who do enjoy our show and our podcast, you know, please feel free to you know uh, subscribe. Uh, you can go to Patreon. That's p a t r e o n dot com slash gnostic. You can pledge a small amount per video per podcast that directly supports this program as well as our talk gnosis. Um, video show, as well as the development of other programs uh, within our network. Um, Again, thank you. You can cap that amount. Uh, We also appreciate any feedback. So any feedback you want to leave on our Facebook page, up on our YouTube comments, uh, you know, uh, we definitely love seeing that stuff. Yeah. I just want to do a couple of kind of uh, housekeeping things that I forgot to do actually in the video show. We are coming up on our 100th episode, video episode of Talk Gnosis. Um, mm-hmm. If everything goes according to schedule, that'll be November 19th. And, and we're, we'd like to do some special stuff for you guys uh, for that uh, you know 100th episode. Just say thank you for all of your support over the years. Uh, so please do, uh, you know, go to our Facebook page and, and give us some suggestions. What would you like to see at that 100th episode? Um, any special stuff? You know, we've got a couple more weeks that we could put that together, and we'd really like to do something special. And it's looking pretty likely that we're going to be hitting 1,000 subscribers just about the same time. We're up at uh, 923 right now. So awesome. if, you, if you have not shared the show uh, or the, the video network with your friends yet, and you, you have friends who you think would like it, now's the time to do it. You know, get in while it's under a thousand before it, before we sell out. And, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, you can say you liked us before we were cool. And, uh, you know, so that, so definitely do, uh, share it. If you've enjoyed it, be a Patreon, uh, uh, patron, if you want to support our show and see more stuff like this, because we always want to do more, but there are only so many hours in the day, and your support helps us uh, grow our influence. And uh, yeah, I think I've stretched plenty. So uh, <laughs> so anyway, thank you, everybody. And well, thank you, Father Tony. I appreciate you helping me out uh, tonight and basically just kind of jumping in and us kind of ad-libbing the show uh, without uh, having any additional guests. And with uh, Bishop Peterson being under the weather, uh, I think uh, we pulled this one out by the skin of our teeth. Yeah, it's harder than it looks, isn't it? (laughs) It's much harder than it looks. All right. Thank you, everyone. Good night. 
This has been a production of the Gnostic NYC Network. For more information about this and all of the Gnostic NYC Network's programming, visit GnosticNYC.com. The opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Gnostic NYC, Talk Gnosis, or any other organization. This podcast has been released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International License. Thank you.